The Watership Down podcast is intended for listeners who are familiar with the plot. There may be spoilers. This episode is scripted by John Ruth and Newell Fisher. It includes adapted text by John. Hello, and welcome to the Watership Down podcast, episode 109, in which we will be looking at the first story from part three of Tales from Watership Down, chapter 12 of the overall book, The Secret River. First, though, I'm going off script. I just wanted to give you a few thoughts about my Watership Down visit last week. Um, I've made some notes here. Um, just as some things I need to say, just uh, in, the, in having watched it through. I wanted to call this the Warship Down Visit post-game, but um, the my podcast provider won't let me use that long a title, but that's what this basically is. Um, first of all, as a result of filming last week's episode, I need to say I've tidied up the appalling state of the podcast episodes playlist on YouTube. It's now correct, and it will stay that way. The, the, the episodes weren't in the right order, some were missing. So, some errors in the filming. Um, I noticed there were a couple of sound cutouts, for which I apologise. My external mic isn't very good, and there's also some interference noise. The wire, the wire from that um, seems to get kinked easily, and, and there are there is some interference, and there are a couple of cutouts. And I'm sorry about that. Um, it was essential to use it because otherwise you wouldn't be able to hear my voice at all. I'm very sorry about the close-ups on my face. Um, for the, my American listeners, I have very cliched English teeth. Um, I didn't look after them when I was younger, and they're, they're absolutely appalling. Um, <clears throat> so I kind of apologize, only apologise for the close-ups on those. I know I babble a lot as well. I'm trying to control myself from doing that now. Um, and I know this can, might be a problem for those of you who, who for whom English is not your first language. I try to speak clearly, but when I'm speaking off script, I can babble. On the video... I did refer to the East as the West on one occasion, in case you got confused about that. I think it was towards the end, um, just to make you aware of that. The order in which I read things out in the wood was a little bit random. I could have done the order a bit better there. The Guardian article possibly should have been earlier on. Um, I did the two extracts from Warship Down in order. Then I did the email, and then I dealt with um, the email about how to visit Warship Down locations. And then I did the Guardian article. I think I should probably have done the Guardian article first. Um, when I got to see Nuthanger Farm, not only did I not know where Nuthanger Farm was, it was obvious once I sorted it out. When you're actually on site, it can, it, um, in the wind like that, it can get, you, you can easily mistake things. But I also got confused about who goes to ground at the Iron Tree um, in the book and film. Um, Heisenthal and Dandelion do not go to ground at the Iron Tree. Um, in the film, it's Blackberry who goes to ground there. And Heisenthal has to distract the dog away from him because he's exhausted. Um, in the book, of course, it's Dandelion and Blackberry are the only runners once Hazel's let the dog free. And no one goes to ground at the Iron Tree in the book. So, on to some observations. Um, I was surprisingly unemotional due, uh, during the visit because I was so focused on getting it all done. Uh, there were some emotional moments. I think you could see them on camera. But um, the emotions really come later. It's incredible. Uh, it was incredible being there. Um, one thing that's very sad is that the northeast corner of the beach hangar is devastated. There's a lot of fallen trees there. It's common practice in this country not to move fallen trees, and there's a lot of damage, damage has happened there. But it means that the northeast corner of the beach hangar is nothing like it would have been at the time the book was written. You saw that open landscape further into the beach hangar the, the, that's remarked on in the book 
Well, the northeast corner should have looked like that as well, and it doesn't. It's very, it's not very open at all. Uh, I found that very sad. Um, you can see it's, it's. There's lots of trees lying around. It should be a much more open landscape. Along with the original tree from, um, that's used in the film having blown down, it's very sad that those two main sites where the honeycomb is have both been very badly affected by wind damage. Um, because of the state of the northeast corner, I saw no evidence of the bank that's described in the book as being at the northeast corner where they start to build the holes. But like I say, the state of the northeast corner could be the reason for that. <clears throat> I made at one point there's uh, the comment, there's another tree there which is absolutely bizarre because I was looking at a beach hanger. What else are you going to see there? But I'm not sure what that was about. I think I meant another damaged tree in the northeast corner. Um, like I said, the environment further into the hangar was a lot more like it's described in the book. That's why I made sure I filmed that, that open landscape that the rabbits find so strange because it's there's so little cover. Generally, the area around the honeycomb and going up to the scarp scope is a lot less open than it was probably 50 years ago. Uh, the gallops would not have been enclosed. It's probably a health and safety measure that they've had to enclose them with high fences. It's very sad, because if the rabbits arrived now up the scarp slope, they wouldn't be able to get to the beach hanger unless they could find their way through the gate that I found. I find that sad. It's, I wish it was a more open landscape. And the another effect of that has been that the pathway that goes right by the original um, honeycomb tree that had to be replaced um, is a lot more worn than it would have been, because it's enclosed by fences on both sides. Um, so the Wayfarer's Way wouldn't have, I don't think wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been so trodden down as it is now but it's enclosed by fences on both sides which is why I think you had that belt of scrub in front of the um, beach hanger you might have noticed that's not that that's probably grown up in the last 50 years along the fence um, on the south side of the pathway that goes by the tree so alongside the tree you've got that line of scrub that you saw um, I say that that means that the beach hanger is separated from the scarp slope by another small belt of undergrowth and then these two fences. So, yeah, it's changed a lot. It's not surprising. In 50 years, it would change a lot. But um, it probably was a lot more open 50 years ago. <clears throat> Finally, um, I need to announce that Eric Steps has now earned Owsler membership for having sent the first verifiable email to be read out on Watership Down on camera. And this qualifies you, Eric, for the Kiha Award for Remote Communication with the Honeycomb. It says here. I did write that down. Um, yes, the, the um, Owsler Award Committee, which is basically me, has decided to award you Owsler membership on that basis. I've also had an email from Rob Stevenson <clears throat> following the episode um, referring to the Efrafa area. Quote, Hi, Neil. Hope you're well. Just wanted to write in and say I love the podcast. Watership Down is my favourite book and I was delighted, delighted to discover this series. Your in-depth analysis of certain parts of the book are incredibly interesting and you've picked up on things I haven't noticed even on multiple readings. My wife and I recently travelled to Laverstoke to, vi to visit the Bombay Sapphire Gin Distillery. I believe Laverstoke is just west of where Afrafra would be. I think I walked over one of the bridges on the River Test which the rabbits travel under at one point. We stayed in the Watership Down Inn, which I'd recommend, apart from being a great pub. The rooms are named after various characters. We, we were in Bigwig. The others were Pipkin, Snowdrop and Buttercup. I don't believe the last one is a character in Watership Down. Perhaps you know that better than I do. Being so close to where Afrafra is, I would say this would be a great place to stay if you were ever to do a site visit there. Keep up the great work on the podcast. Best wishes, Rob. End quote. Um, well, uh, the bridge Rob crossed, as it turns out, was the one the punt gets stuck by, making the rabbit swim through the bridge in order to get back onto land. 
I must visit the Bombay Sapphire Gin Distillery one day because it is on the lake which the rabbits swim into in order to get off the punt. Um, so it'd be interesting to visit it, it anyway when I get to that end of the uh, of the country the uh, warship down is set in. You never know, they might even offer, offer some sponsorship. Um, worth a try. Anyway, thank you for your email, Rob, and welcome to the Owsler for services to scouting enemy territory. Anyway, let's get back to our favourite down. Introduction to Tales from Watership Down, Part 3 As I said when I first introduced Tales from Watership Down, I was very tempted when I first read it to skip past Parts 1 and 2 and get straight onto the story set on Watership Down after the end of the main story in the original novel, but before the epilogue. These are the stories we are about to start looking at. It feels very appropriate that last week I visited Warship Down itself, just before starting to look at these seven stories that deal with the aftermath of the, of the Battle of Watership Down and the challenges to Hazel's leadership in the months that follow. Because, as always, after you have won the war, you must then win the peace. Tales from Watership Down, Part 3, Story 1, Chapter 12, The Secret River. The pre-chapter quote is from Moses Bar Sefer, or Kephas, or Kepha, a 9th century Orthodox Syriac bishop, quoted by American academic John L. Lowe's in 1927 in his work The Road to Xanadu. It references the legendary river called Gihon, this is one of four rivers associated with the location of the Garden of Eden and is mentioned in the second chapter of Genesis in the Biblical Old Testament. Some of these can still be found, while it is said that others were destroyed by the Great Flood. The reference to a mystical river is obvious, given the theme of the chapter. We're back, at last, in the Warren on Watership Down again. Vilhuril, Fiver's Doe is the main subject at the start of this tale, and we get a thorough account of her character, both its more sociable and more serious side. Like Fiver, we know that Vilthuriel is a part of that other country that isn't part of the earthly realm, and Adams even uses the term world of the mystic to describe the place she and Fiver spend some of their time together in. No one resents this, as they know the Warren was served by that world. Vilthuriel is now in the beloved and seemingly recovering honeycomb and makes a remark to Hazel about the underground river in Ephrapha, which seems odd. If there was a river there, Bigwig would certainly have picked up on this when he was there, surely. He and Heisenclair are now drawn into this discussion that goes into what it was like living, just existing really, inside the fascist Ephrapha. As ever, in a totalitarian regime, a lot more seemed to be not allowed than actually was. One seemed to be expected to do nothing outside of sylphlay and mating, as if your very existence was inconvenient. Vilthuriel remarks that she started to sense something. What she sensed was the water in this secret river that did not involve water at all. She developed the skill of lining up with what she sensed. This seems a bit like adjusting an antenna on an old TV or radio for optimal reception. The way this process is described by Adams is very effective. What she's tuning into are the lives of two other rabbits, both of whom are also female, Flyerth and Prake. 
Have we possibly just arrived at the first chapter set on Watership Down that passes the Bechdel-Wallace test? That is to say, a scene in which two female characters talk to each other about a subject other than a male. Vilfjord shares her mental observations with Heisenslay. We know that Heisenslay also has mystic capabilities. We learned in Watership Down that her visions seem real and not unlike those of Fiverr. She has also sensed something. Two does, Flyeth and Prake, have apparently convinced a lot of rabbits to leave a warren in order to found one run by does. This would be a subject of interest for any rabbit, and most certainly for our Ephrathan heroines, who would certainly like to leave that highly restrictive warren. She senses that the other warren is somewhere sandy. After Vilthuel and Heisenclay have a conversation about her experience, she takes Heisenclay to sense the river for herself, which she does, only not as clearly as Vilthuel. Our two heroines bring Thethuthinang into their confidence. Now all three try to tune in daily or more if they can, and it's easy to see why, given the dull life in Ephrafa and the reduced role of Doze. Vilthuel seems to sense things the strongest, and it's no wonder that she and Fiverr became companions. The communication was one way only, much like listening to a radio. As they listen, observe, they are concerned about the Afrafran authorities finding out. Flyeth and Prake establish a warren called Thiniel. Even the Alzor was made up of does, and once again the femaleness has increased. Bucks that don't like things can simply leave. Adams makes an interesting statement about what happens when an Alzler doe has kittens. They simply temporarily retire from the Alzler and pick up their duties again when they can. Is Adams being allegorical here, with reference to human childcare, or is this just another story about rabbits? Communication from the secret river has subsided, but fairly soon starts again, but in a bewildering, confusing way. It finally becomes clear that the dreaded white blindness, a.k.a. myxomatosis, is threatening Thineal, and has been brought nearby via a male rabbit. Flyeth is busy making plans and preparations. Bucks agree to help guard the warren, and the warren will be very much guarded against any intrusions. There is very much an early Covid leper feel to this part of the chapter. Nonetheless, an infected buck gets into Thineal and mates with one of the does, who then shows symptoms. She is driven out, but continues to live nearby. This is a real leadership challenge for Flyath. Milmoan is the infected doe, and she and her kittens are living outside Thineal. She was a popular doe, and popular opinion starts to sympathise with her and turn against Flyeth. Milmoan is dead now, but her kittens still live and don't seem to have the blindness. Eventually, sympathetic rabbits let the kittens into Thineal. Flyeth tries to stop this, but at this point she's really overwrought. At the same time, she has borne her latest and third litter, so she steps down as chief rabbit, but a chief with a great, greatly diminished reputation. Adams now brings us back into the near present, and Heisenclay and Bigwig are discussing their great escape from Ephrafa. The night before the escape, Vilthuril again tunes into the secret river, but she learns nothing. None of the Ephrafandos have any, had any idea where Thineal actually was. Were they able to pick up on the situation in Thineal because it was a nearby warren? This is unlikely given the range of the Ephrafan wide patrols. Or were the thoughts and feelings in Thineal so strong that distance did not matter? Hazel and Bigwig are mystified by the whole thing. It was already accepted that some rabbits, Fiverr, Vilthuriel, Heisenthay, have mystical capabilities. However, in this case, even Thethuthinang was able to pick up on things. Vilthuriel simply was able to sense things more acutely, much as Fiverr would likely have been able to had he been there. 
Just at the end of this story, we learn that Blackberry is nearby. He remarks, I doubt whether we've heard the last of it, referring to the secret river story. It's also an ingenious way for Adams to end the chapter, strongly hinting that this story is not over. Is it canon? It is tempting to think that Vilthuril and Hythenthlay's account of the secret river is a product of a cult forming among does living in extraordinarily difficult circumstances for any rabbit. The fact that Vilthuril's visions in the, in the river are the most detailed argues that the others may be following her lead. Then again, I may be skirting dangerously close to accusing females in difficult circumstances of hysteria, and that in a universe where, as we have established, the supernatural most definitely does exist whether or not it does in ours. This story is very much a part of Richard Adams seeking to redress the gender balance in his world of Watership Down, and for that, a man of his generation and background does arguably deserve some credit. The story does indeed arguably just pass the Bechdel-Wallace test. The three Afrafen does clearly discuss the does, Flyath and Prake, though their conversations are only reported, not quoted, and the tale is still being told to Bucks, but all the female characters are named. Not only that, but it even touches on such issues that disproportionately affect women, such as the need to balance pregnancy and childcare with career. For if we are to look at active Owsler membership or being a chief rabbit as a career, then Flyath's lot of sta loss of status after her third litter at a crucial time is an example of such very human issues. Also, the juxtaposition with Ephrafa, where Owsler membership is the only way out of a miserable life, but seems only open to bucks, is stark. And the issues Flyeth is having to deal with also gain significance to modern ears, dealing with an outbreak of a deadly disease and opposition to the measures taken to control it. On the other hand, the secret river does seem a little gemmed into the already tense story of the escape from Ephrafa. Is it really feasible that Bigwig would have heard nothing of it at all in all his interactions with Heisenthal, Thefuthenang and Vilfuril? On the other hand, Ephrafa was a place of secrets and the habits that come with them. Also, it is a shame that, having returned to Watership Down, we immediately find ourselves being told a story from elsewhere. However, all things considered, this story seems, to me, to expand, enhance and modernise the world of Watership Down. So, for that reason alone, yes, canon, overall. What do you think? Next time, we hear about the founding of the new Warren between Watership Down and Ephrafer.